Welcome to the Pattern Podcast from KFC in London. As a church, we want to learn ways of being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing the things he did in order to see this city we love transformed. This podcast is a resource to help us explore these spirit-filled patterns of living and start putting them into practice every day. For this episode on the practice of peace, we spoke with Graham Tomlin. Graham is the Bishop of Kensington here in London and was heavily involved in caring for the local community affected by the Grenfell tragedy of June 2017. We asked him how we can have peace amidst the ups and downs of life. Graham Tomlin, thank you very much for chatting to us today. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. It's, been, it's really nice to have you here with us. We're going to be uh, looking at the practice of peace today. Um, it's a really prominent subject in the Bible. It looks like it's it's talked about over 400 terms, or word for peace is, is over 400 times used in the Bible. Um, can you just sketch a bit of a landscape of the biblical concept of peace and why it's so important and desirable? Well, in the, um, in the Old Testament, you get this concept of peace, which often goes under the, the, um, the well-known word shalom, this idea of Peace is something that encapsulates everything. It's you know well-being. It's uh, well-being personally, individually, socially, from family-wise. You know the nation is at peace, and um, it's that kind of aspiration throughout the Old Testament. This sense of shalom that was there in the beginning, but of course that shalom, that sort of well-being, is broken in the in the fall. And from then on in the Old Testament, the story really is of of a sort of broken peace, a sort of shattered peace, and it's, it's a longing for peace as well. So in Israel, the people of Israel is you know called out of the human race, Abraham is called, and yet the people of Israel's story is not really a story of peace because all the way through they're troubled by enemies and they get overrun by um, the Babylonians and the Assyrians and they go into exile. And so peace never really sort of um, establishes itself in, in the Old Testament, although it's an aspiration. And of course, then when you get Jesus comes, he, he starts speaking about peace quite significantly. And there's a point, I think, in uh, John 14 where, where Jesus speaks about peace and he says that that thing where he says you know peace i give you but not as the world gives mm. and that makes you think hang on well, what's what's different about this peace that jesus brings why is it not peace as the world brings you know because we all know a kind of peace that the world brings is that little moment of quiet you know when you get in the day or you know you're on holiday and you just get a bit of peace for a moment so what is different from from his and then i think that the, the key moment i think about peace in the bible is when the risen Jesus comes and appears to his disciples, and the very first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. And I think that's the significant thing about the peace that the Bible talks about. Ultimately, it is a peace that comes from the other side of the grave. It's a peace that's announced from the other side of the grave. So ultimately, it's a peace that goes, that's why it's different from anything that the world brings, because the world cannot do that. It cannot bring a peace from the other side of the grave, but Jesus brings that. So I think that's the sort of ultimate trajectory of peace in some ways that's the fulfillment of the the old testament vision of shalom and peace is the peace that jesus brings you know beyond death itself again that might lead into this one which is the the sort of new testament authors talk about peace as being a fruit of the holy spirit um can you tell us a little bit about that what is a a fruit of the holy spirit and and how is peace included in that well the the image of fruit i think is all about um it's about trees isn't it A, a good healthy tree produces good fruit um and it's from the health of the tree that the fruit comes. Fruit, if you like, is a sort of secondary thing that comes from the from the the good tree. And um, I think the reason why peace is thought of as a fruit of the spirit is that where the spirit, 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 the spirit makes Jesus present to us. It is only by the spirit that Jesus can be present to us. And so, in some ways, the only way in which we can begin to experience that peace that comes from the other side of the grave, the risen Jesus, the peace of the risen Jesus, is by the presence of the Spirit here and now. So where the Spirit is, Jesus is, and where Jesus is, 
peace begins to break out. So I think that's why it's called a fruit of the Spirit, that as you remain close to Jesus, peace begins to seep into the corners of your life. So what do you think are some of the signs of peace being absent in our daily lives? And 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 what sort of, we're brilliant at putting in coping mechanisms around things, aren't we? Um, what are the coping mechanisms, mechanisms we put into our lives to cope with and compensate for a lack of peace? Well, I, I often think about um, the... Um, 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal. I did. Some, I mean, we all do. We all do. Graham. <laughs> so I'm often thinking all the time. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. If you think of nothing else. Um, but yeah, but I did quite a lot of work on him at one point. Um, Your PhD was he? Uh, yeah, yeah. He was part of my PhD studies. And, and there's there's a section in um, his pensée where he, he it's a famous statement he, he makes. He says, um, "Most of the troubles of the human race can be traced to the fact that people cannot spend time on their own in their room." Mm. And um, he has this whole section about how uh, we cannot cope with the bigger questions of life and death. You know, we we fear death, we fear annihilation, we fear that we might be meaningless, that we might mean nothing, that we might not be loved. We might we fear all those those sort of dreadful things that are lurking in the background. And the way we cope with that is distracting ourselves. Mm. And um, he talks about distraction in 17th century. That was, you know, um, going ball hunting or dancing or whatever else it might be. Great thing is, in, well, great or maybe not so great, is we have these devices in our pockets now, which are the greatest distractions we've ever invented in the entire history of the universe, which I'm talking about our mobile phones. And basically you go on the tube, you go on um, wherever you are, and the phone is is the thing that distracts you from everything else because there's always an endless stream of stuff that can just um, entertain you or kind of interest you or whatever that's there. And if it's not that, it's something else. And... So you talk about distraction. Distraction is one of the things that that kind of covers up our lack of peace and our sort of anxiety, our ultimate anxiety about about things. And so I think those are the sort of coping mechanisms we have. We find distractions. Um, Now, those things are not bad in themselves. Mobile phones are not bad. You know, sport is not bad. Dancing is not bad, you know, and so on. But, But when they become a distraction from actually thinking about the bigger things of life, life and death, meaning, purpose, love... Uh, and our fear that we don't have those things. Um, that's one of the signs, I think. Uh, and I think in a place like London, where you just see everybody desperately seeking distraction of one kind or another, um, that's a sign of the lack of peace that we sometimes experience, I think. Just tying in with that, and then actually almost your answer to question one, where essentially you were talking about the world not being able to bring peace to us yeah. in the way that Jesus from the other side of the grave can by his Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, many people listening to, to to this and all of us in this room have been and will be going through difficult times, perhaps facing uncertainty or inconsiderable pain. Um, and over these last couple of years, you've spent uh, a large amount of time with those affected so devastatingly by the Grenfell tragedy of June 2017. Uh, is it possible... And if it is, how is it possible to be at peace in the midst of circumstances that are so mm. difficult or uncertain? Mm. I mean, it's a good question because, um, you know, when you're in the middle of something like that, it's very hard to experience peace. So I think of it, there's a German theologian, Helmut Thieliger, who, who uses an image of, um, it's like two paintings. You can imagine, you know, peace that we normally think of is, you can imagine a painting with, a, you know, sort of a little scene of people playing and enjoying life. But in the background, there's dark clouds and there's, um, you know, thunder and lightning. And you can somehow keep the background at bay for a while because you've got a little bit of peace in your life at the moment. And that's the peace we often try and sort of find in our lives. It's a little oasis of peace against a really dark background. 
But then you think of another picture of, of, of someone who is sort of absorbed in something really quite difficult, but against a really light background, where actually the background is full of brightness and sunshine and, and, and hope. And it seems to me that second is the piece that the, that, that, that Christian faith offers, that you might be in the middle of all kinds of, of difficulties and, 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 and struggle. And actually, that's usually the case for most of us. And most of us don't experience an awful lot of peace in our immediate circumstances. We might get the odd moment every now and again, but a lot of the time there's something that we're worried about or something that we're anxious about. But the great thing about the peace that Jesus brings is this peace that comes from the other side of the grave that says that the ultimate background is, is light, it's hope. Um, and therefore, that's why I think in the middle of, of um, something as tragic as, as, as Grenfell, um, uh, often when I was giving interviews at the time, I was often asked the question, what can you say to someone who is um, going through this, this kind of struggle? Um, well, if you, you know, that, well, I actually found that people turn towards their faith, not away from it. Uh, because actually it's faith that gives you that sense of a, of a, of a hopeful future, which is the only thing you, that, that, that enables you to hold on to hope and hold on to peace in really difficult difficult times like that. So um, uh, I think the other aspect of that is, um, you know, how you hold on to it. It's the gift of prayer. Um, and uh, I think prayer is very closely associated with peace in the New Testament. And um, the practice of prayer is a crucial part of this. So Grant, I love the the images you've just given to us of those two paintings. And what I'm wondering is when you're in those circumstances of the second painting where mm. the, the immediate circumstances, the foreground, if you like, of the painting mm. is so dark and troubled and stormy. Mm. But we know, looking at the painting, that the background is light, that yeah. Jesus has given us all hope. Yeah. When you're in it, yeah. it can be such a storm yeah. and sort of so overwhelming. How do you keep your self-aware of and focused on this yeah. light background yeah. that you just uh, spoke yeah. of? Um, I mean, two things to say. One is, um, uh, there's, that, there's that thing that Jesus says in in um, uh, in John 17, where he talks about, remain in me, abide in me. Um, and he also says at one point, you know, abide in me and my words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Um, and there's something about remaining in Christ that somehow in the middle of the storm keeps you in the right place and keeps you see you know gives you a chance of glimpsing that bigger horizon and part of remaining in Christ is is, is allowing his words to dwell in you which is one of the reasons why actually you know memorizing bits of scripture is a very useful thing to do if you've got those words that you can call on you can keep re- keep on repeating them in your mind uh, just allowing the words of Jesus to, to remain in you that can be um really really helpful the other thing I think again as I mentioned is this gift of prayer you know you um, there's that bit in um, Philippians 4 where Paul says, um, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests before God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. There's a lot of things in that. That's It's, it's an amazingly dense statement, but it's, it's powerful. Um, so he says, you know, by, by prayer, uh, petition and thanksgiving. So, you know, do not be anxious about anything. You know, how do you, how do you do that? You know, I'm always anxious about stuff. You know, how, how do you stop being anxious? Well, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. So in the context of prayer, you connect with God and you ask him for what you need. But you always do it in the context of thanksgiving. Something about thanking, which is really important. Thanking and thinking go together. Um, you have to kind of just, 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 just that moment of being looked beyond the immediate circumstances to give thanks for the hope that you have in Christ, uh, for the things that are good in your life, as well as, the, as being aware of the stuff that's tough. But then it's the sense that the peace of God will guard your heart. It's not that you have to guard the peace. You've got to somehow cling on to it and hold on to it because it's always slipping away from you. But no, if you do that, the peace of God will, will hold you. 
And so I think there's something about prayer that connects you into that brighter background because that background, brighter background is, is the realm of God. It's heaven, if you like, which is all around us, if you could only see it. And so I think those practices of allowing the words of Jesus to dwell in you, um, but also the, the kind of the discipline of going back to prayer time and time again, that has the capacity to be able to connect us into that 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 lighter background. As um, a bishop in this city, from what you know of it and today's culture, why do you think this way of Jesus, this practice of peace, is a radical and subversive way to live as a church here at KXC? Well, I think because, you know, as, as a city, there's not a lot of peace around. It's a very sort of busy, frantic, um, distracted place uh, where people are um, often very isolated and anxious and uh, you know behind the surface success of a lot of people there's this 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 deep anxiety about uh, the future are people going to succeed are they going to find the relationships they need you know and, and all of those those questions and so peace is a very elusive thing for a lot of people in a, in a city like this and so therefore I think when you see someone who has a deep sense of peace around them it's quite radical it's quite attractive it's quite powerful and so therefore the practice of peace, um, for Christians, I think is it is a really radical practice. That sort of constant allowing the word of Jesus to dwell in you, that constant recourse to to, to, to the prayer that um, connects you into the the lighter background. The, you know, the, the coming to the the sacrament, Holy Communion, which which gives you objectively the you know the presence of Christ. Uh, there are those sort of practices that that can allow peace to to dwell in you and to hold you. Um, that is, that is a deeply attractive thing in a city like this that lacks a great deal of peace. And that's why I think it is such a, a radical thing. And the other thing about peace, of course, is, is Jesus is called to be a peacemaker because peace is not just something that you hold within yourself. We're also called to be people who are constantly seeking peace wherever you go. And I think especially at the moment with so much kind of polarisation politically, socially, uh, ethnically, religiously, and so in all kinds of ways, um, this city needs peacemakers whether that's in a workplace, whether it's in a, a local community context, people who have the peace within them to be able to make peace with others, that is a radical thing that's needed in our city as well. So if people are listening to this and they're hungry for it, hungry to be at peace themselves, hungry to bring peace where they're going to be, not as peacekeepers and keeping everything okay by distracting themselves, but actually making, being peacemakers. Um, where should they begin? They're listening to this, they wake up tomorrow, how should they start on the journey towards that? What could be their first practical steps? Yeah. Well, I think there's an inner and an outer thing. Um, the inner thing, I think, is, is just getting in place those disciplines of life that become a very fixed habit, whereby at junctures of the day, you kind of make time for that that prayer, the allowing the, the words of Jesus to, to, to dwell in your heart, um, to ensure that that peace holds you during during the day. Um, it seems to be, you know, without that kind of regular practice. Um, I mean, I, I, I talk to a lot of young Christians about the prayer life, and, and many, it seems to me, have a and a prayer life, which is great, it's a kind of conversation with God that goes on throughout the day, which is which is which is great. But there's something about having a kind of a regularity, a sort of points in the day when you actually check in, as it were, with God. You recalibrate yourself, you reorient yourself to to, to Christ. Um, that just keeps you coming back to that still point of of, of, of peace. I mean, people um, people often talk about mindfulness these days. And there is a Christian. I mean, mindfulness is is a kind of way of talking about. Prayer, but the difference I think is that you know, whereas 
in secular mindfulness, you're trying to be mindful of yourself and everything else around you. But Christian mindfulness begins with the recognition that God is mindful of us. You know, Psalm Psalm 8 has it, so, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him? You know, that, that it begins with the recognition that God is mindful of, of you. And so just that, those points in the day when you can remember, yep, God is mindful of me. He remembers me. He knows where I am. He knows what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And that can begin that sort of practice that's there. So I think that those practices, that's the inner side of it. The outer side of it, I think, is to see, you know, what, what is there in your um, your workplace, your community that needs some peace spring? Is there a troubled person that just needs a word of peace or encouragement? Is there a situation that you could... You could say a word or do something or write a note, send an email that will just bring a little bit of peace to someone. And just that active sort of working out of the peace and sort of being peacemakers where you are. And it's just finding little things, tiny things that may seem pretty insignificant, but who knows where they might lead. And if you if you isolate a particular person or a, a situation that needs peace, and just speaking a word of peace into that. Brilliant, Graham Tomlin. Thank you very much for chatting with us. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to the Pattern Podcast. If you'd like to explore more spirit-filled patterns of living, head over to pattern.org.uk.